Oh la la. Keep, keep sitting on these champagne bottles. Like I just... Why are you covered in champagne bottles? What's the story there? It's our it's our billionaire tech elite lifestyle. We just took... okay, hold on. We'll we'll do this in the record. Oh, it's recording now. Yeah. Why are you why are you sitting on champagne bottles? It's I it's, show them. What, what, tech billionaires just like have champagne bottles sitting all over their furniture. It's, it's annoying. They trip over them. It's like Legos in a parent's house, but no, champagne but bottles. Really, Simone, what is going on with the champagne bottles? I went through her room and she had two champagne bottles in her chair. I I mean, so if we're being honest, it's like a, a motivational thing. Like, I mean, I, I don't really drink now because like we're going through an IVF cycle, like we want to get pregnant and and yet like, I just want to know it's there. And if anything goes wrong, we have these like consolation prizes, like, okay, if, if, if there's a failed transfer, I get this consolation prize. If there is a miscarriage, I get this consolation prize. If there's a, a stillbirth, because like, I, I need to not get so demoralized that we don't keep trying, right? Because it can be really hard. Well, this is very germane to the topic of the video. What are these cancellation prices? What's the cancellation? <laughs> consolation. Consolation. I'm not being canceled. I'm not Human being canceled. Canceled. Don't cancel um, me when I have a miscarriage. No, the idea no. is, is so she asked me for permission. I don't even know why she asked me for permission. I like that you're-, you're No, no, no. Well, it's actually, it's a marriage contract thing. I'm just, I'm making sure that with an expenditure of joint funds on a consolation prize related to our fertility plans, that you are on the same page and that you officially in writing and in a documented fa fashion approve it. And this has to do indeed with the, with the topic of this podcast, which actually came as a commenter suggestion. So I'm like really excited because people are now giving us suggestions for our podcast. I think episode was a suggestion too. Yeah. But anyway, so this, this suggestion came from Cat at Victorium who said 100% want your dedicated video to relationship contracts. Your fat clause is so relatable and reasonable. My husband does relationship coaching and probably one of the top three reasons. And sadly, it's so taboo to point this out is one of the spouses slash partners has let themselves go and gained a bunch of weight and stops making an effort to be an attractive person in some way. There's this entitled attitude, quote, they should just accept me as I am. And if they can't handle it, they're emotionally abusive, unquote. It is wild. My husband and I have both gone from periods of fat to fat and fit and back. And so we've experienced this for ourselves. And we've learned over our 15 years and counting marriage that we're both making a maximum effort to be healthy for one another and to be alive for as long as possible for our four children. Things are pretty satisfying. Well, much more satisfying than if you slump and become schlumpy. It is neither good for yourself nor your spouse. So anyway, Cat at Victorium, thank you for your comment. Thank you for a suggestion. We're going to talk about relationship contracts. And yes, one part of relationship contracts is making sure that you're on the same page with expenditures. Would you like to know more? I just want to give like bird's eye view of relationship contracts. One, you're in a social contract with everyone that you interact with. Like that's a key premise of like, why is it worth it to have a relationship contract? Every time you have a conversation with someone, every time you get on a bus, like you are engaging with a social contract, the social contract on a bus is that you're going to sit down and not urinate and not get naked. You're, you're going to allow the wheelchair bound people just in the wheelchair area. If they come in there, there are these unspoken social contracts we have. The problem is, especially when you live in a diverse environment and people have a lot of different cultural backgrounds, it's really important to be more explicit in discussing what your social contracts are, especially when you start to be in a more higher stakes relationship, like a romantic relationship, a sexual relationship, a marriage, et cetera. An example of this is if you're dating somebody, people from different cultural backgrounds, one may think that dating means that they are exclusive. 
Another may think that dating doesn't mean they're exclusive. Mm -hmm. Or one may think that, well, yes, dating means you're exclusive, but, you know, kissing someone else is an infidelity. And so if you don't, if you aren't really explicit to make sure you're operating off of the same shared social code, then it can lead to misunderstandings, which are really important when you consider what's actually going on with one of these contracts. So if we go back to the dating, what's actually happening is, is both people are saying, I am making these sacrifices or restrictions in how I act with other people to benefit my relationship with you on the understanding that you are making like an equal trade-off of sacrifices. And if that is improperly communicated, one partner might feel like they made sacrifices that the other person didn't make or, or something like that. And with all of the different like cultural baggage around what creates these default relationship contracts, different cultures have found different optimums work for those cultures. And within every culture, there's this belief, well, the way that I do things is the correct way to do things. So continue from there. Right. And so when, when people typically hear that we have a relationship contract, they immediately think like, oh, this is where we discuss how you tie up and whip each other, isn't it? Like, this is where you, your sex dungeon oh, yeah, comes no, into Mr. play. Mr. Gray, what's it, is it Gray? Is that what Mr. Gray, I don't, Fifty Shades of Gray is what they think of. I think that there's a contract in there. I think actually their contract might have a fat clause. I, I, I haven't read the books. Clue, actually, Mr. Gray is in Clue. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't know. I don't anyway, play games. Continue. I don't read Fifty Shades well, of Grey. Okay. So they, 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 yeah, they assume it's like, it's a sex this thing. Is a really interesting thing that we, when we talk about this sort of degenerate social virus in our society, that when people see we have a lot of kids, they're like, oh, you must be doing it because it's a fetish. Or when they hear we have a relationship <laughs> contract, they're like, oh, it must be a bunch of sex stuff. Because yeah. like, that is their perspective of reality mm. is that everything is about this very visceral gratification instead of that the relationship contract is like, this is the expected temperature of the house. This yeah, let's, is let's go into this. So like, what is yeah. a relationship contract actually? Well, what Malcolm and I did, and this is first off, it's a living document. It is a Google document. We update it regularly. We I just updated it per consolation prices in case I have a mishap the next time we try to get pregnant, for example, and with kids' names, things like that. But it is a living document that you and a partner, a friend, a, a work colleague, whatever, it could be anyone who has a high stakes relationship with you, you, you negotiate various terms, especially around potential points of conflict before they become potential point of points of conflict. So what Malcolm and I did before we got engaged, before we got married, was we went through like our relationships on Reddit. We asked a bunch of friends and colleagues and family members and strangers where they had major fights, conflicts, issues in their relationships. And then we put those issues into our marriage contract and we negotiated them before they'll ever happen. So let's go into some of the, the issues. You wanted to talk about finances, Malcolm. Well, I mean, I think that if you're talking about <coughs> and the most important clauses in any relationship contract, finances is definitely one of them. And there's a few ways that this can be done. You can either just completely divide finances. So finances go into a mutual pot and then they are divided in some way. Like it could be 70-30 or it's more likely if you do it this way, it would be 50-50. You can have, you keep what you earn, which is each partner basically maintains a separate bank account and goes into the relationship with a separate bank account. Uh, or you can have a shared pot with then some private money that goes to each individual or some sort of combination of these. What we have in our relationship is a shared pot with sort of an allowance of free spending money for each individual. 
And so what she was talking about was these sorts of like consolation expenses is that they would be tied to the shared pot because she was undertaking an emotional task that was for our combined benefit. Yeah. Um, so in, in other words, all of our income, regardless of if it's like income that went technically to Malcolm or technically to me, goes into one big account and then it gets pulled out for various different budgets. And a lot of them are joint things and all of the joint expenses that we have, like for our kids, for housing, for, for travel, things that we do jointly are based on agreed upon budgets. We've, we've decided on the percentages, the monthly amounts, whatever. And so that's all set. And this, of course, yeah, is part of that. Then, and we've seen this works really, really well for people and relationships, there's discretionary spending for each partner. So like, it doesn't matter like what you're spending it on. It could be something completely abhorrent to the other partner. Doesn't matter because that's your money. They have zero visibility into it. So that money goes into private accounts for each of us. I have no idea what Malcolm spends his money on. Yes, Malcolm has do. no idea what because I you, Okay. So we use a, a lot of shared public accounts, like Amazon accounts and stuff like that. Yes, I, and I, 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 I do. Her account, so she gets an email whenever I buy something. And I yeah, well, and we try to max account. out credit card points and I like, I reimburse our credit card charges on a shared card, like from our personal accounts. So like, okay, I know, I know, but, but technically you know everything I'm contract, actually spending money on. Yeah, I, I do. But like you could do it all privately and that's very important because there yeah. are some relationships in which every expense is reviewed by all partners. And that, that can be really tough, especially if like one partner is spending more personally than the other partner or the other partner doesn't approve of it. There's a lot of friction there. So yeah. having like a blind fund where it's like, this is your discretionary spending, zero judgment, zero visibility. If you don't want any visibility, like it's, it's very mm -hmm. smart. Um, and it seemed to have worked really well. So there are other things that so, are in our contract that I think maybe people wouldn't expect. And you alluded to one, which is like house temperature, for example. Yeah, house temperature. Well, I mean, I think a lot of the important ones are the ones that come up most frequently in our lives mm -hmm. because otherwise they become simmering points of conflict. Like there wasn't an agreement before we got married. Mm -hmm. Whereas something like house temperature can seem like a pretty trivial decision to make with a partner before you get married. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't cost a lot of emotion to do then. But in terms of you're already married and each of you have strong preferences for different temperatures, then it becomes a very costly thing. So a <laughs> lot of these things remove a lot of the potential tension in a relationship by deciding it up front. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things we mentioned in a previous video was what do the spouse's parents do if they end up destitute or something and they, they asked if they could come live with you. Right. Yeah. Um, and something like that is a lot easier to decide when you're not deciding about specific humans who, who benefits one person over the other person. If you're deciding this with either of your spouses, then you know that when you initially made this decision, you made it blind as to who it would be about mm -hmm. instead of like, if both my parents die and then we're having this negotiation, like it's pretty lopsided the way the terms work out. Mm -hmm. uh, and Other clauses that are in a relationship contract that I really like are, for example, who, how to deal with travel to certain events, like to family gatherings. So let's say one partner really hates going to them and yet the other partner wants to spend a lot of money to like go out and visit family. We have various rules around that. And one of our a rule that our dynamic that I think is really fun and it works really, really well is with things like that, where one partner really wants to do it and the other partner doesn't, then it comes down to one partner being willing to do that thing with their discretionary spending. So like, okay, we'll do it, but you have to pay for it. Similar to house temperature, like I'm, I'm okay with the house being hotter than necessary. Like during the winter, I just wear a snowsuit inside and I deal with it, but Malcolm doesn't necessarily want to. So I'm like, okay, 
well, the I mean, temperature can go higher, but you have to pay for the difference in other words. Right. And I don't, I mean, we usually leave our house at around 50 degrees in the winter, um, yes. which, which I love. I love your frugality, Simone. And I love <laughs> your constantly testing yourself in terms of enduring pain for mutual benefit, which I think makes you a, a stronger person mentally. A voluntary hardship is very useful for, for clearing the mind. But in terms of something you mentioned is updating the contracts. A lot of people, mm-hmm. this is another big area. What, what does mm-hmm. that mean? Well, for us, that's just about the contract stands unless both of us decide to update it together. Mm-hmm. So either one of us has veto power on contract updates. Mm-hmm. Uh, another oh, one for is- example, we just went today. So one of our, the sections of our contract is kids' names. Like, well, and there's a lot of things in there, like whether or not kids. Yeah, she had, she got a crush on a ship from a sci-fi book. And <laughs> she goes, oh, it's a really hot ship. And I was like, well, that's a very Simone thing to say. It's No, I, any, I think anyone who reads Surface Detail by Ian Banks and discovers the, the ship known as Falling Outside the Normal Moral Constraints, which is a culture abominator class offensive unit. It is like the coolest character in the entire book as far as I've gone so far. Like, But anyway, so like I, I, I added that name for consideration in the document. And, and and then I asked Malcolm, like, hey, what do you think about the name Demiason, which is the avatar of this ship? And he's like, nope. So, yeah, but that, that's how it works. And it's what really straightforward. As a name. Uh, d- abominator? What was it called? A cultural? He's an, an abominator class. Yeah, but <laughs> about, about abominator. Abominator's not bad. It's not bad. We'll think about it. We'll think yeah, about it. but we have a whole. Like, no, we, not we, really. I think abominator's too weird. I think it's too. No, weird. no, no, no. We'll we'll have to. I will just search for other names in Ian Banks novels, and we will, I will find one. Ideally, of a ship that is really good. Um, <laughs> because I think I don't think falling outside the moral constraints is is a, a pithy name, so I can't use that. Sadly, as much as I love that. Okay, ship. so so then another thing that people often ask is well. How do you make decisions when they're not covered by the contract, right? And I think that's a really interesting question as well. So the way we mm-hmm. do that is generally we have divided our life into different domains of which we have, we we give day-to-day management of those domains between the two of us. So like mm-hmm. Simone manages the inside of the house, I manage the outside of the house. Simone manages our finances, I manage career decisions. But at the end of the day, I end up making all the decisions. You have the final of- call. Like you have veto yeah. power, you have final decision power. On, on literally anything except what's already outlined in the contract. So the contract is like outlining defensively, these are your rights of areas where I can't just make final calls. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are like, oh my God, that's horrible. Why don't, why don't you compromise, right? And it's like compromise is a terrible way to handle relationships because what it does is it creates the incentive for each partner to exaggerate their positions. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in other words, if I want five and Malcolm wants three, Malcolm is incentivized to say he wants zero and I'm incentivized to say I want 10 and we're, we're all going to end up at an exaggerated position. What's even worse is when you're you're coming at things from this very individualized perspective, you start not thinking in terms of what's best for us. What would the relationship benefit from? What, are, what do our shared values benefit from? You end up thinking about me and in my extreme views and what serves me the best. And you might even start leaning into your exaggerated stated preference. So like, I might actually start wanting the 10, even though I really just well, want I mean, five. I think it's impossible to not. If you yeah. take a position in an argument, you're much more likely to find yourself believing that position is your, totally. your, your real perspective. Yeah. Um, and so then so you, it's like, pull, it's literally pulling the couple apart or the and every partner in a relationship. Right. Apart. And it's I terrible. think that when a partner voluntarily says, I'm giving up power to you. I trust you to use it wisely. 
if you're in a positive relationship, the person is actually probably going to default to your needs mm-hmm. over their own because in every decision, they, they, yeah, they know that was out that, that you have, you have surrendered that power to them voluntarily where this doesn't work is if a person believes there's a cultural expectation that the power should be surrendered to them and they have some sort of divine right of rulership within the relationship, which can happen within some cultures where they believe that like men by the sake of being men should be the one in charge. Yeah. That means that he doesn't feel like the woman has made any sort of like real sacrifice sometimes. Now some, some people still appreciate it even when they come from those cultural backgrounds, but there is mm. a risk they're like, oh, well, of course she's subservient to me because she's a woman. Well, I think that this also even shows up with in, in like traditional, more and more traditional seeming cultures where women are like, oh, well, of course I'm entitled to like spend all this shared money on clothes and purses for myself because I'm the woman and I should be treasured. And like, I, I got pregnant for you. So therefore I get to buy whatever I want with your money, et cetera. Um, so like it can like, go both like, I mean, it's a bad cultural expectation and it's, mm-hmm. it's something that I'm glad that we outline that it, in terms of like those values, like frugality. I, I mean, I think also outlining your values is really important, but I want to yes. go back to other ways that you, so suppose you actually don't trust your partner enough mm-hmm. to say, I'm going to let one of my partners just have final call on things. Then what you're doing, and this is a very easy thing to do if you have aligned values. It's something yes. that doesn't work if either of your values are humanistic in nature. Because yeah. then there's always going to be misincentivization. Mis- but if you have aligned values for like, I live my life in dedication to this greater cause, mm-hmm. then it's, it's, it's very easy to think, okay, what, what logically helps us both move towards that greater cause, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you are rewarded for, in terms of like real world achievement, from seeking as much information as possible from your partner in terms of achieving that cause. But other ways this can be done if you don't trust your partner that much is you could have some sort of external party be the mediator. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and you see this in traditional cultures too. I mean, like often like religious yeah, leaders. Like the rabbi this or yeah. 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 But let's actually, let's talk about consequences for violating the contract, because I think that this is something yeah. that's super under, underrated. And I mean, sort of like, I don't know, in country music or in popular culture, there is this perception that when you violate a relationship contract or a marriage contract, even when it's unspoken. So like he cheated, she cheated. The pers- the the understanding is, well, of course you leave the relationship, you end the relationship, you trash their car, you throw their clothing out of the like fifth story window, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like you do all these like pretty toxic things. Whereas we argue in the Pragmatist Guide to Relationships, that's actually like, a really suboptimal thing to do unless you are 100% committed to doing it. And it seems like in most well, cases when someone- is leaving the relationship, right? Yes. A lot of people are like, I will leave you if you do this. Now take it from there. Yeah, yeah. if you break a rule, I will leave. And that that ultimately is not ideal. Honestly, like yeah, you would think that in our relationship contract, we, we've put all this thought into it. Like, oh, we must have like these really, really big ramifications for, or like even really specific ramifications for when someone breaks the rule. Honestly, like it's pretty much just- <laughs> If you break this rule, if you if you don't honor this rule or standard, it will really hurt my feelings. Like that, that's kind of yeah. it. And that's that's honestly in a relationship in which each partner loves each other and each partner wants the relationship to stay intact. That's frankly one of the best ramifications you can have because it's obvious to both partners that if that happens a lot, if one partner is constantly disappointing, constantly hurting feelings, that eventually for the partner who's regularly being let down, they're going to terminate the relationship, period. Well, and this is something that I think is really important in relationships is, and we'll do our episode on how perverse it is to have a relationship based on love, but <laughs> a lot of people assume that love is the most important emotion or feeling you have towards your partner in a relationship. But I, I, I think 
in truth, love is like number four in terms of important emotions. The, the really mm. important one is gratitude. Mm. When your partner makes a sacrifice for you or does something for you, that you are grateful for the sacrifice they have made because nothing degrades a relationship faster than when you feel like you're doing something for someone and they are not show. you, you can tell that they do not appreciate it. Yeah. And one thing that I really appreciated our relationship is I am just always overwhelmed and humbled by the amount of gratitude you engender in me where I'm constantly like, wow, she really does more than her share. Like, I always feel like you're doing more than your share. Well, I do about you too. I think that's a good sign of a relationship if each well, partner and, and thinks they're pulling a fast one. Yeah, because I think people hear that and they're like, why would two people consistently, the way that you create a relationship where both people always feel like the other person is doing more than their share is you divide the roles in the relationship so that each person are, takes on the roles that the other person finds difficult. Yeah. So this task that Simone does, I find incredibly emotionally difficult to do. And the things and the that Malcolm that, does, I literally could not do. Yeah. And literally so you could not. Like, little things for me where I'm like, oh, like some people are asking, why do you record in different rooms? Right. And, and they know that Simone's autistic. Simone doesn't like to be in the same environment with someone right and and well it, it, it stresses her out a little like with me it's, it's okay true. if it's just socialization but like when we're performing when we're on stage like we are with these podcasts there's it's like having somebody looking over her shoulder while she's working it, yeah it, is that a good yeah and i think a lot of people wouldn't respect that and so you come at this and you and you have gratitude for little weird sacrifices i make that to me feel like almost nothing Whereas for you, an example of something she's doing today is I find it really stressful to go through comments on Twitter or YouTube because some of them are negative and, and mean, and it really stresses me out. So like in, in South Park where they have the butters going through all the negative comments and only sending me the positive ones, Simone doesn't really get bothered by negative comments that much. Not at all. So she just engages with them and then really only brings them to me where she goes, oh, this is like a... a interesting point that I want you to engage with because sometimes they're bringing up like an intellectual point and I do want to be open to other ideas but then other times it's just like I want to kill you or or I, I you're ugly and weird and I'm like I know I'm ugly and weird come on guys I no, no, no. That I was we, we are we are runway okay and the runway of, like runway. all the pretty people are catalog we are runway deal with it okay what are other parts of a relationship contract that are important let me pull up our relationship contract and give some additional examples for, for listener inspiration, just in case you are thinking about making a relationship contract of your own. So under finances, we have distribution of investment and inheritance income, which I think is another important thing because each partner can come into a relationship, not just with their existing salaries, which are easy enough to divide up, but also with like, oh, well, here's like, I get royalties, for example, from content that I created before Malcolm was in the relationship. Both of us have, have inherited a little bit of money from grandparents. Like what happens with that money? And we also have things like use of emergency funds. Like, are we, do we build up an emergency fund? How many months does it have to cover? What do we do about retirement savings? What are our policies with debt? Like in what scenarios is it okay for us to get into debt, which I think is, is also really important. And a big point of conflict with people getting into relationships even. Like I, I knew someone in college who had so much student debt that as soon as partners learned about it, they didn't want to 
marry her, which is insane, but also like, it's a big deal. So debt's a really big, a big one. Deal. They're inheriting that debt. When, when I know, I know, and I know it's, it, it is a big deal. Oh, of course. Fidelity. Like we very, we very. Oh, yeah. Fidelity. That's a, yeah. an important one. What, what is cheating? What is not cheating? What is allowed? How do things need to be discussed? Like, I think that's really important. And I think it's interesting that for, for some partners, I think I, I remember going through one study that showed how men were like super cool with like AI, like sex or boyfriends or girlfriends or something like that. Whereas women were like, no, I'm super not cool with my boyfriend or husband, like having an emotional or sexual relationship with an AI like entity, like super. I think something that you point out here is there's this perception in our society that men and women are sociologically the same on average. And Mm. therefore, when you're talking about infidelity rules or something like that, a trade-off for a guy will be the equivalent of a a similar trade-off for a girl, right? Yeah, which it totally isn't. Which is not true. Yeah, and the AI is a perfect example of that. But if you created a rule that, you know, both people can date AIs, that might actually be a lot more costly for one gender than the other. Totally. Um, And I think it's the same with sex. Like, I think extramarital or extra relationship sex can mean a lot more to some parties and other parties. So also a big, a big thing. And I know this is like what blows our mind is that like so many people get married and then they're like, okay, so do we have kids? Like, do we not have kids? Like, I think it's less common now. People are a lot more upfront about whether or not they want to have kids. But when we first looked at like relationship deal breakers and things that caused breakups, we kept coming across stories of people who had gotten married and then discovered that they weren't on the same page about kids, which is really not good. So we we don't only have agreements about how many kids we may have, how we're going to try with issues or like deal with issues of fertility, but also there there's a, a section on career sacrifices for children. And I think this is another really big one is that a big point of conflict in relationships is who's going to, who's going to take the hit. Like who has to give up their career to have kids or who's going to pick up the kids when they're sick or who's going to deal with this or that. And often like societally women end up picking up a lot of the slack just because there is this unwritten social contract that that falls to the mother. So negotiating that ahead of time, I think that there's also a lot of like resentment on behalf of women because they feel that obligation when often it may be the case that the husbands would be super happy to do all that. And they're doing it because they think the women want to do that. And so actually like Malcolm picks up like the majority of the slack with our kids one because he's cool with it two because he's the best husband ever but that's something that really made a big difference for me around children but also we have punishment for children that's there's a lot of conflict around that's really important yeah if one person comes in thinking like corporal punishment is okay and the other person doesn't that's sure to cause a lot of conflict yeah and then financial considerations like one parent may want to spend a lot more money on kids than the other one parent wants like designer ralph lauren clothing for the kids. The other one, like, no, we're only doing hand-me-downs. That's a a freedom of choice for kids. What are they allowed to do? Their recreation, their education, the media they consume, pets. Like we have a pets clause in here, child sex education, child names, of course, that's like our most frequently updated thing now. Oh, housing in the event of a long distance marriage. So like if we end up having to live on different continents for a while for doing work, who's, where do the kids go? These are important things. We also have things like family gatherings and holiday travel, 
like we said, elder family member care. Then of course there's health too, like preventative health care. Like are we, what are we committing to? Like in terms of screening and regular health checks, I, I think that that's beyond just like, because obviously we have our fat clause in our, in our marriage contract, which I love, but it, it's not just a fat clause. Like we also have terms around health and, and not doing things that harm ourselves, which is I think great and really important life supports in there, of course, although that's one of the few things that like a lot of people with their, their power of attorney do actually work out oddly. Like the one thing that kind of like is almost never going to happen or what happens once. Anyway, to wrap things up, if you have questions about relationship contracts or fun things that you've put in your relationship contract, and it can be your sexy relationship contract, whatever, we'll talk about that too. Let us know in the comments and this is so cringe, but don't forget to like and subscribe. I told her she had to say this. I was like, we've never asked people to like and subscribe. So we really try to create the best listener experience possible in that one of the things we do is we try to, if you don't want to watch the full episode, if you're like, okay, I just want to get to like the point that you're getting at, we try to put that before the title card. That's probably not great in terms of like viewership links in terms of the algorithm, but I really want this to be just like, an ideal listenership experience. And that's also one of the reasons why we haven't really been adding the like and subscribe thing. But I mean, I guess it helps. I don't even know if subscribing helps that much anymore for, for the algorithm. It, it certainly helps for my ego. That's our big goal this year, get to 10K subscribers. And we're like real YouTubers, I, I guess. That's that's the way I see it. So it's the dream. So Wait. anyway, please do your part. Nice. Please do Fair. your part, friends. Yeah. Okay, Malcolm, I love you so much. And let's do another conversation soon. I hope so. I love, love these. You too. Yeah.